0: Welcome back to Quick Bits. Today, I'm covering the week of April 24th to April 28th. I can't believe today is May. It's just, it's the meme. It's gonna be May. Here it is. And we just need to, memes aside, get into everything I covered this week from the rust charges being dropped against Alec Baldwin to a whole bunch of updates in Idaho to much missed and welcomed back Food Court. So yes, we're back to Utah with the cookie wars for just a little bit and a conversation about Topo Chico. Let's get going. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and the Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. Real quick, let's just talk about what I covered on the Emily Show podcast on Wednesday. If you do not listen to the Emily Show, why not? Go download it on your favorite podcast player. It's available on all of them or here on YouTube. And YouTube is rolling out podcasts in the music app, so you can listen to it in the background, even if you don't pay for YouTube premium, if you want to watch it on YouTube, but listen in the background. You can do that through the music tab. It's rolling out now, so it might be available for you. So go check it out. The same is true for this podcast, by the way. All right. What happened with Alec Baldwin's Rust charges? Well, the prosecution filed a no prosequi, commonly called a no-pros. In other jurisdictions, it's simply unable to proceed with the preliminary hearing because the prosecutors said, quote, New facts were revealed that demand further investigation and forensic analysis, which cannot be completed before the May 3rd, 2023 preliminary hearing. This case is dismissed without prejudice, and the investigation is active and ongoing. What does all that mean? Well, it means they're not going to go forward with a preliminary hearing against Baldwin at the beginning, you know, beginning of May, and that they can still refile charges against Baldwin, either these same charges or other charges coming out of the same series of events. Again, the fatal shooting of Helena Hutchins on the movie set of Rust. I also talked about the fact that the movie is now underway and has gone back into shooting and the statements being released about the things that have changed on set so that it can be filmed um, hopefully safely. I mean, that's what we're all expecting with this. I'm still surprised they went back to filming. But for now... Alec Baldwin does not have any pending criminal charges. The armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, still has pending charges. Her preliminary hearing got put off until August, and the civil cases are still ongoing. Nothing changes with those. So that was the podcast for Wednesday. On Tuesday was the return of Food Court. It is a segment that I love doing and do occasionally and will be doing more where I cover all food-related lawsuits. Look, there are so many food-related lawsuits. There is always a bit of sass. It's always a lot of fun. And I covered two, one that's an ongoing suit and one that was kind of an open-and-shut, one-time-only coverage. The Utah Cookie Wars are still ongoing between Instagrammable aesthetic crumble cookies and their competitor, Dirty Dough, who has substantially less locations and a different aesthetic, I think. They're very orange and like university and less pink and Instagram girly. Either way, there's this ongoing lawsuit and Dirty Joe has asked to file counterclaims against Crumble, essentially seeking to sue Crumble for the damage that the Crumble lawsuit caused to their business. Crumble has asked the court to disallow that request. They've basically said, your honor, please tell them you are disinclined to acquiesce to that request. It comes too late. It is not going to go anywhere. It's not, it's not valid civil charges. Please don't allow them to file a counterclaim against us. So that crumbled dirty dose suit is still slinging mud, but there were some really interesting emails between investors asking Dirty Doe to not play out the lawsuit on social media and publicly and just let the lawsuit uh, take its natural course in court. Dirty Doe alleging that the investor relations had been harmed by Crumble's lawsuit against them. Then we took a look at a very interesting Topo Chico lawsuit. I didn't know Topo Chico was a product of the Coca-Cola company. Apparently it is. A woman in New York sued Coca-Cola over some Topo Chico hard seltzer that she purchased in a margarita-flavored variety pack and is suing because the margarita-flavored hard seltzer does not contain tequila and are not actually margaritas. So the court wrote a hilarious and kind of scathing order dismissing this lawsuit with prejudice it cannot be refiled it cannot be brought again and with some snappy footnotes against the plaintiff's attorney saying these arguments have been made with this attorney and they have lost every time it's interesting because in these food lawsuits we see a couple of law firms that really do go after most of these types of food litigation, where we see something that you're like, does a consumer really buy Topo Chico hard seltzer that's margarita flavored and get confused that it's not actually a margarita cocktail made with tequila? Is somebody really confused? Or are they looking for the next, you know, Red Bull lawsuit because it doesn't give you wings? So we're going to be covering the Red Bull lawsuit in a future food court. Let me know if you're interested in that down below. But this one was just a ridiculous lawsuit and the judge smacked it down and yeeted it out in a way that was deeply satisfying because the other judicial orders we got weren't satisfying really at all. And there were two of them. First, with regard to BitBoy Crypto, I've been covering that case in the FTX Influencer and Celebrity Lawsuits over on my channel. So let's talk about what happened when BitBoy Crypto finally did go to court. And I mean, I say finally, but it's kind of dramatic because really he was ordered to court on Thursday and he showed up on Monday. What we learned from the court is that the order to show cause was dropped. So the court took the order to show cause for BitBoy Crypto off calendar after he showed up and explained to the court why he didn't come to court on Thursday. Now, on Thursday's stream, I covered BitBoy Crypto's statement to the court because he published it on Twitter in response to my video from Tuesday. So we got to see what his statement was. What was interesting is he alleged that the plaintiff's attorney knew he was going to be on a cruise on the day that they set the court hearing. If that is true, the court's going to find that to be really persuasive, especially since Bitboy Crypto had not had an attorney appear yet in court on his behalf, but the court did give some warnings after the order to show cause hearing was dropped. And here's what the court said: It's ordered and a judge that defendant Ben Armstrong is admonished to continue to comply with this court's April 20, 2023 order directing him to cease and refrain from posting or sending harassing and threatening communications, including paper and electronic communications and telephone calls. Directly or indirectly to plaintiff's counsel. Adam Moskowitz, his family, his partners, associates at the Moskowitz law firm, and any party or counsel in this case. Failure to comply with this court's order will result in the imposition of sanctions, including contempt proceedings. And the court also noted in several places that contempt proceedings can be sanctioned by custodial incarceration. So the court really said knock it off with the threatening and harassing communications. BitBoy Crypto is saying that he did not engage in threatening and harassing communications and that the only thing he threatened was the law license. And he was not the one who made the um, numerous phone calls that plaintiff's counsel listed in that initial order that I covered. So it seems that this blip in this case is done and the case is going to go back to, you know, the normal order of business where people file pre-answer motions and then file an answer and then engage in discovery. And then it goes from there. I don't think though, this will be the end of the SAS for this case. Let me know what you think. On Thursday, I covered all the updates in the Idaho case, and there are a number of them. First, I talked about the out-of-state subpoena for one of the surviving roommates from the King Road residence. This individual is now living in Nevada, and the attorneys for Brian Koberger tried to subpoena her presence at the preliminary hearing in Idaho, even though she lives in Nevada. The clerk of the court had entered that subpoena and issued it for BF's appearance in Idaho for the preliminary hearing at the end of June. Her attorney then filed a motion to quash, which means to throw out the subpoena saying, hey, You didn't go through proper process or procedure. There wasn't a hearing about whether this is proper. There wasn't a finding that this witness is a material witness. These are all the things that were done wrong. Before the court could rule on that or have a hearing with regard to that, there was a stipulation filed by both parties in Nevada agreeing to throw out the subpoena. And that stipulation simply says, that they are asking that the subpoena issued on April 11th, 2023 requiring BF to appear in Idaho on June 28th, 2023 shall be withdrawn or quashed because BF has agreed through her attorney to an interview with Idaho Defense Counsel in Nevada in lieu of proceeding forward with the subpoena for the preliminary hearing now set for June 26th through June 30th, 2023. So they've agreed that the surviving roommate, B.F., will sit down with Brian Koberger's attorney and uh, likely defense investigator in Nevada and have an interview instead of showing up at the preliminary hearing. Shortly after this stipulation was filed, the court finalized the order and quashed the subpoena. Quashed, squashed, yeeted, it's all the same. This individual is not going to be required to show up at the preliminary hearing in Idaho. I also covered the fact that the Supreme Court in Idaho is not going to overturn the non-dissemination order. If you'll remember, I covered the writ that was taken by all of the media outlets saying that the non-dissemination order violated their constitutional rights. The court found that they had not exhausted their remedies with the lower court, and that the Supreme Court did not have jurisdiction over it. And they said, basically, you need to go back and talk to the judge who issued this thing. So go on back and complain to that judge. We're not here for it today. But I also went into what original jurisdiction is a bit more fulsomely. And since we were talking about Idaho, I went and pulled up court documents with regard to the TikTok defamation suit that is ancillary to this case, But about the King Road murders, where a TikToker accused uh, full chestedly a Idaho University professor of ordering these murders and having an inappropriate relationship with one of the victims, and more. If you'll remember, in that case, the professor sued for defamation. The TikToker, representing herself, did not file a response or an answer within the proper amount of time to that lawsuit. A clerk's default was entered. Then there was more litigation. And so there were numerous motions about the default, a motion to um, overturn the default and allow this case to proceed on the merits. And that's ultimately what the court did. I didn't know there was going to be an order. We have been waiting for this order. So on April 26, I was surprised when I went into the court system and found that that order was there. So I covered that entire order live on Thursday. But in some the court said this case should proceed on its merits. I am going to set aside the default, allow the TikToker improper to answer within 21 days, and the case is going to move forward from there. Though the court made known how they felt about some of the behavior here and called the TikToker's posting after the lawsuit had been filed, off-putting and ill-advised, but also said that the TikToks that were submitted as part of the record to the court did show that the TikToker wanted to defend this case, and ultimately that's what mattered, is the intention to defend here. So the court said very strongly that they will be holding this TikToker to the court's deadlines and procedures going forward and bolded that an answer must be filed within 21 days. And when that is filed, I will be covering it. I'm very interested in what happens with this defamation suit. It seems to be one of the more egregious fact patterns that I've covered. And I'm very interested to see what the court does with this. It's also rare that in federal court, we see somebody representing themselves. So that is going to be one for me to watch all the way through, though federal cases can take a substantial amount of time. And with all of that, hopefully this ended up being quick because that is everything that I covered this week. I can't believe it's already May. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a Lonard. Cheers. And I will see you in the next one. For deep dives into the stories that I covered here, you can find them on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and The Emily Show Podcast. I stream every Tuesday and Thursday. The podcast goes live on Wednesdays. And if you want more Law Nerd community, come join us at lawnerdsunite.com.